At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Eves. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We have a great episode here today. We have Zach Boulder from Eastern Ohio. So Zach's a friend of ours and lays down some nice deer. He uh, has his own property. He bought 60 acres, I believe, out in the hills of eastern to southeastern Ohio. It's a very fun conversation. We cover things like how Zach found his property, this off-the-beaten-path property, um, how he started out as a habitat manager, what he has had success in for fall food plots and hunting strategy. Um, he actually measures some fetuses in the doe uh, or antlerless harvest uh, later in the year to kind of help keep track of how his property is coming along, uh, weights of the deer, etc. We also talk about navigating the big woods. He's in some big timber country over there. And then Zach's a big volunteer, actually a branch president for QDMA down in that area as well. So, guys, we have another great conversation here with Zach. I hope you all enjoy it. I want to thank the listeners once again for coming back. We can't do this without you guys. We love the great reviews you're leaving on iTunes. I just sent out a bunch of decals last week. Uh, Ragan, Josh, thank you guys. Decals are coming your way. Uh, Heartland Homes, decal coming your way. Thank you guys so much. Uh, there will be a link in the podcast below if you guys want to go leave us a great review. And just give me your name, and uh, I'll get a hold of you, and we'll get you some free decals for these awesome reviews. All of our content can be found at HabitatPodcast.com. All the episodes, Instagram hookups, uh, YouTube links, all of our sponsors on there, our land plan, our hats. Got some new t-shirts coming, so uh, get excited about that. They're pretty awesome. I'll be having a couple of those up soon. I want to thank uh, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit for their support of the show. I know we've been working closely with the team over at Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. I've been on their team for, shoot, I think three or four years now. I have a bunch of great hunts. Hopefully coming up this fall, I know uh, we have a lot of good uh, bow hunting and gun hunting uh, killers on the team this year. So I'm sure if you guys want some good 
uh, content for the Whitetail Woods, check out michiganwhitetailpursuit.com, and all the past videos and, and seasons are up there as well. So you can see uh, all of us hunting some real Michigan deer, some nice Michigan deer, and, you know, doing it just like everybody else does. And you might even see yours truly on there, uh, harvesting a couple does and a nice 10 points. So check them out at Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. Love to have you guys uh, on their Facebook page as well. There's a group called The Michigan Whitetail Pursuit with a lot of good uh, content on there. So thank you, MWP, for supporting the podcast. Next, we have Stony Creek Realty. Thank you, Chad, at Stony Creek for your support. Chad had a new listing come up the other day in southern Michigan, uh, Lenaway County. That thing was gone and sold in, I think it was two or three days max. So keep your eyes out, guys. Check out Stony Creek Realty online at stonycreekoutdoors.com for his new listings popping up. And if you're looking to sell a property, you know, reach out to Chad. He, uh, he sells them very quickly and for good prices uh, from what I've seen so far. So check him out, Stony Creek Realty, and uh, thank you for the support and the show. Uh, lastly, Sound Barrier Hunting. Thank you, Sound Barrier, for your support and the show here. Guys, check out soundbarrierhunting.com. They make their own custom line of soundproofing material, adhesive material that you can put on your stands, your climbing sticks, uh, your camera arm, um, whatever metal clang or anything that could clang and bang up in the woods and that sound travels uh, can get you in trouble with a big whitetail buck. So we use the buck bumper products over at Sound Barrier. And it's really a great product. Uh, we're actually doing a giveaway on Facebook and Instagram right now, at Habitat Podcast, on both of those. We're giving away two sets of the Buck Bumper uh, Sound Concealment Solution. It's a thick, Buck Bumper thick, and the regular Buck Bumper. Uh, two sets. One giveaway on Facebook, one on Instagram. Feel free to participate in both of those for a chance to win at either. And, uh, you know, for Sound Barrier, we have the code HP. If you use the code HP when you check out at soundbarrierhunting.com, you'll get 10% off and free shipping any of the Sound Barrier products. So thank you, Sound Barrier. Guys, check him out over at soundbarrierhunting.com. All right. And last but not least, I just want to say season's coming up. You know, get out there, get that food plot seed in the ground. Check those stand straps, be safe, hook up those lifelines, and, uh, you know, follow along with us online. If you have some content or some videos and pictures of what you're doing, send them in. We love, we love interacting with you guys. It's, you know, you're the reason we're doing all this and, and to learn. So thanks for sticking with us as we become better habitat managers. Uh, let's lastly thank HuntWise, Killer Food Plots, the Habitat Hook, and Packer Max for their support. Now let's get into it with Zach from Eastern Ohio. Welcome back, everybody. We are back with another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have Brian Hallblad, my co-host on the line, and a special guest tonight from Ohio, Zach Boldzer. How you doing, Zach? Good, Jared. And yourself, Brian? Doing well. Thanks for coming on, Zach. Doing well is here, too, sir. Thank you very much for coming on. Yep. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem, no problem. Where in Ohio are you located? So I'm, uh, I live in Paris, Ohio. Um, it kind of sounds funny because it says Paris, but uh, it's um, Stark County. It, uh, it's actually uh, one of the highest points in Stark County is where I live. 
and uh, it's kind of farm country out where I'm at, uh, close to Minerva and Louisville. So if you ever tell your wife you're taking her to Paris and she laughs, it's really funny, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I tell her she's in Paris all the time because of how, how much great life she has with me. <laughs> That's a lot better than what I just came up with. Nice job. <laughs> Let's see, Paris, Ohio, okay. Let's no wonder we're in trouble all the time. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So more towards the, the eastern side, it looks like. Well, that's cool. Yep. Well, so, normally we like to start these things off and hear, you know, about you, where you're from, where you hunt, do your habitat work, kind of like a history. Paint us a picture of, of who you are and, and what you're up to these days. All right, I'm 37 years old. Um, you know, I grew up pretty much where I'm living now. I grew up in a small town called Minerva, which is right next to Paris. Uh, I'm a lineman. I have been a lineman for about 14 years, a little bit over that. I work for First Energy, which is a, a company um, here in Ohio. Um, they do operate in a few other states as well. Um, I own land um, in Noble County. Uh, it's uh, about 62 acres, so just a little under that. And I bought that in 2008, um, actually in October of 2008. Um, and that's about it. I've been doing, well, habitat work for, oh, let's say, probably five, six years. You know, really, when I bought the place, I just bought it to hunt. And uh, I was used to hunt in Carroll County and ran into some issues in the Carroll County properties that I hunted where I'd have people poaching around there. And I think everybody runs into that and kind of got discouraged because there was you know, a road running through the property that I hunted, and I knew the, the next property that I wanted to buy, it's going to be a piece that's uh, completely off the beaten path, and that's kind of what I, I ended up getting. Um, I'm also the uh, QDMA Hall of Fame branch president. I've been doing that for about five years now. Um, I kind of took over. Um, it was a, a branch before that. Um, they ended up closing it down, and I kind of took over and brought it over to the Stark County area and uh, got some friends of mine to help out. And uh, we've been kind of doing that for a little while too. And it's it's I do owe a lot of my habitat work and knowledge that I've got about deer and habitat and conservation uh, to QDMA. So I will say that. But uh, other than that, that's that's about it for for knowing a little bit about me. Okay, and actually we have a couple other QDMA friends up here in, in my neck of the woods, Chad Thalen and um, you know Josh, of course. How, how do you How'd you meet Chad? Is it through QDMA? Yes, yes, it was. Um, I know he's going to kick my butt, but I'm trying to say, if, I can't remember if it was at a Deer Steward 2 class or if it was just through some seminars that they've had up there. I know we've done some meetings together where QDMA gets together. We do some shoots, um, some trap shoots, and uh, just just get-togethers. Um, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, I think, DS2 is when I met him. Um, you know, obviously, I know Josh. Josh was our regional director, um, which he's a great guy. I love I love talking with him. He's a, he's a real good dude. But uh, Chad ended up uh, – I remember we had another meeting we were getting together for QDMA, and uh, he actually offered to uh, let me come stay at his house because we were going to get a hotel. And he's like, dude, don't do that. Just come stay with me. I got a place for you. So me and my, my VP went up there, and, man, he opened us up to, you know, wide open arms and come on up. He's, he was a great guy, and I, I greatly do appreciate that uh, from Chad. Uh, very cool. That's just it's a great organization and full of great people from 
all of them that I've met, plus the knowledge, you know, that we've all gained from QDMA. And uh, then you got, you know, guys like Chad who are just grade-A guys. And, yeah, I can, I can see how uh, all good things from that standpoint. And how long have you been a branch president for? Uh, it's been about five years now. Um, I actually yeah, that's a serious job, man. That's yeah, it's, a lot it, of work. It does take a lot of work, man, and especially with three kids. Um, it's tough, and it's it's good to have guys that are willing to help you too. And you know, it's it's hard to get people to volunteer. It is. Yeah. I mean, we don't get paid. We do it out of the kindness of our heart, and you know, the love for QDMA and what they mean. So, I mean, I am thankful for that. I mean, because like I said, it's it's helped me become a better conservationist, habitat manager, um, and hunter. You know, it's it's definitely helped me with that, and I'm glad I'm going to be able to pass that on to my kids as well. For sure. And how old are your kids? Uh, so my daughter, she's five. My boy will be three in October, and my other boy just turned one in May. Yeehaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you there. I have My, my girls are twins. They're six, and my boy just turned two uh, uh, June. So I can commiserate with you. Yeah, nice you job. got your hands full. You definitely got your hands full. <laughs> You know, the thing is, I still don't understand how them kids keep coming out. I just, I, I can't figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm about to take a hammer and fix that issue over here. Something, something, <laughs> whatever yeah. makes them stop popping up. Mm-hmm. Um, no, kids are great, and uh, amazing you have that much time to, to uh, you know, work as a lineman. We, I mean, we were talking about having you on like two weeks ago or whatever, and you got called down to that storm. And how long were you down there for? What in Jersey? You said. Yeah, I got sent to Jersey for 10 days. Um, you know, we do travel quite a bit, especially the eastern side of the United States. Okay. You know, on any type of hurricane. Um, you know, I've been all over the whole eastern part pretty much. So, I mean, when they're hurt, and hurricane season kind of is kicking off now, it's going into hunting season. So, I try to get all my time in now with work and so I can take pretty much November off if I need to. Oh, nice. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. You got, you know, young kids, a QDMA branch president, busy guy gone for days at a time. How's that go over with uh, with November? Do you bring the whole family down to the to the property, or how does that work? I have a very, very grateful woman to keep herself at home so I can go do my hunting alone. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I do have a, a pretty decent cabin. Um, it's just she she'd rather stay at home, so... She's got everything she needs at home, and yeah, no, I hear you. The cabin's kind of you know the guy time, so you know I usually have buddies down there too, and it's oh, yeah. you get the whole camaraderie thing going, and you know beers and drinking and having a good time, and you know if you kill some deer, you're having you're doing all right. Oh uh, no, you, you guys do you guys drink? You drink down at deer camp? I don't I mean, know about that. I mean, <laughs> we sit and eat pizza and sing kumbaya. My bad. <laughs> What's your uh, beer choice? You know what? I'm a Bud Light guy. I am. Nice. So that's, yeah, that's good beer. It. Good beer. Well, you said something when you were starting off. Um, is this the first property that you've owned? Yes. Personally owned, yes. Okay. And you said you wanted one off the beaten path. Um, I explained to, to us what that meant for you and what you had to go through to find that perfect that perfect setup. Because I can see how that could be advantageous for sure when you have poachers or or this and that. Um, tell us how you came, came about that. So I really didn't start hunting until I want to say I was 
23. So I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm about in about 15 years of this. So when I was graduating college, you know, going for Lyman school, that was around, I want to say 2006 is when I graduated. So in 2005, I did a uh, summer field experience with some guys. Uh, they were out of the Maslin shop, and uh, the one guy actually offered to take me, and he brought me down to Noble County. He had he had about 70 acres down there. He still does, actually. And he's like, hey, come out, come hunting with us. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I went down for shotgun. And, you know, we we played placed bets and, like, biggest buck and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I kind of let on, like, I've been hunting before, you know, a little bit. You know, I knew a little bit about it, which really I didn't. And uh, basically, just they just sent me on my way and told me where to go. I got in a stand, and literally, opening morning of shotgun season, this it was a nice buck. I mean, definitely for a first buck, it was a nine point. And he just came walking down, and you know, I put it right in the the drop right there spot, and uh, dropped that buck. You know, put him right down, and uh, shot my first buck down in Noble County. And I was like, man, I just I just love that county so much. Because um, it just brought memories to me just because of that first buck. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy some land down here one day when I can. So, you know, I did end up hunting in Carroll County a little bit, like by my dad's place and where I grew up. Um, started bow hunting, everything like that. And, uh, you know, I, I've always just been, like, I, I never had the, the knack for shooting the first thing I seen. I was always kind of patient on what I shot. And I always wanted, you know, a decent rack, at least, at least eight points. And, uh, you know, I was trying to, past the young deer and stuff at my dad's place and the neighbor lady, she gave me permission to hunt there in Carroll County. And it was like, I think the year after that, and then the following year as well, and I kept finding bucks that would just be heads cut off. And it just, it really discouraged me so bad. And, you know, one of them ended up being at the bottom of my dad's driveway and that just sent me over the edge. And luckily I was in a financial position where I could actually, you know, buy my own piece of land. And, uh, I, Decided to go to an auction. It was the first auction I ever went to down there. And actually, it was three auctions that day. Um, there was a 40-acre parcel. A, I think it was a 30-acre parcel. And then that 60-acre parcel that I bought. Um, I actually went and walked the other two parcels um, with my mom. There's no cell service. She's freaking out because I'm gone for hours at a time looking at these properties just trying to figure out what I wanted to buy. And ended up, got over to the the final spot, which is the place that I purchased. And I didn't have time because the, the auction was going to actually, you know, start within like 10 minutes. So I couldn't even really walk the place. And I was like, you know what? This place is, because you had to go down a dead end road. It was way back in. And actually, um, I actually went through another property to get to this. And there was an easement. There's an easement to it. And it's literally woods everywhere. And when I got there, I was like, I'm buying this place. And I had a number set in my head what I wanted to spend, and I ended up going a little bit over that. Not much, but uh, I tell you what, I don't regret it today at all um, with buying that piece that I did buy. So you bought a piece without walking it? Yeah. Is that, is that what I heard? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I, 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 you know, yeah. that's okay. I'm not. I mean, I'm a little surprised, but I'm not totally, totally surprised. I mean. A lot of those hills down there, it, there's some good bucks, and you you walked enough, you've hunted enough to know what you want, know what you don't want. So, not not totally surprised, but the whole auction thing. Um, what made you go auction versus like through a realtor or or something like that? That's probably a better, cheaper buy, but it's kind of 
it seems like spur of the moment or something maybe like it seems intimidating to me I guess yeah I'm I'm pretty random on things so <laughs> that's, that's kind of me <laughs> okay nice. um no literally man I'll tell you what it's you know sometimes when you just feel that this is it then it's yeah. it you know I just I kind of go with that inclination and you know I I think people there were thinking I spent too much, but I look at it now, and you couldn't even touch land for what I paid for it back then, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and you're at an auction where everybody normally gets a pretty good deal on something. Yeah, and um, the funny thing is, is the other two pieces that I walked, they actually went for quite a bit less, and there was one couple there that I was actually bidding against, and uh, they really wanted that piece as well, but they they weren't willing to go with that extra extra $50 an acre that I spent. <laughs> Exactly. Well, tell us about about this piece. What's it look like? I mean, you sent Brian and I a map, which is pretty cool. Um, I guess explain uh, the piece and and what you liked about it to make you pull that trigger. So when I first when I was there that day, um, there actually was an old cabin on it. Um, so a little bit of history on it. I come to find out that uh, two owners before that um, is old man Williams. They called the guy. He was kind of a guy they knew down there in Noble County, and uh, he owned the property. Him and his wife, and uh, I think they had five kids, lived in this old cabin. So there was no electric there. There was no running water. There was nothing. I mean, wow. literally, it was an outhouse, which I don't know if that was theirs, but uh, they pretty much roughed it. So when I bought it, there was an Amish guy that owned it before, and he, he actually did, he didn't go through and, you know, rape out the timber or anything like that. And he, he did all right with the property. Um, he did add a little addition onto that cabin that helped. Um, and that's kind of one thing that I looked at. You know, I wanted a place to stay. You know, I didn't really think about no electric and all that stuff. But, you know, I work for the power company. I can make stuff like that happen probably. <laughs> I come to find out that's a whole different story too, but we can keep going with that. But um, when I bought the place, it was basically, there was about a one-acre clearing right there where that old cabin was. And then about the middle of the property, there was about, I would say it was probably around three-quarters of an acre clearing, and there was an old gas well there. So there was gas on the property, but the gas well ended up uh, it ended up being bad. It wasn't working. So that's all I had. And, and there was a beautiful clover plot there where that gas well was in the center of the property. And and how about, like, to, like topography? What's it look like with topography? Because I know there's a lot of hills over there. Yeah, it's there's not a lot of flat area. That spot in the center is actually cut out um, for where they put that gas well at. Um but, I mean, I got a huge ravine that runs through it. I mean, there's not much flat ground on this property. But there's nothing that's too treacherous, if I should say, you know, on hillsides. I mean, everything is navig- you can navigate on, but uh, it's pretty steep in some spots. Okay. Yeah, no, it looks it looks nice. It looks like there's a big uh, ravine running from the, what, the northwest corner down to the southeast corner, kind of yep. right through the middle of the property, and then... I see up on top of a ridge you have your big food plot area cut out, it looks like. Yep. Yeah, I kind of ran that with uh, the terrain the way it goes, too. Okay. But uh, So when I bought it, like I said, there was just those two spots. Now, I've opened up. So if you look on the eastern part of the property, you can barely see it, but that's actually about three-quarters of an acre. But it's still – I left some oak trees in it because there were some white oaks in there, and I didn't want to cut those out, so I left them in that plot. Um 
And then also in that whole big ravine, um, when I first started hunting that property, they would travel through that ravine and they would come out all different spots and we could never really pattern them. So a couple of my buddies, we kind of got the idea like, hey, let's just go through, clear cut it and dam it up. And actually, if you look, there's about, I don't know if it's an acre, but it's pretty close. I put an acre strip pond in there. Went through, oh, wow. cut it. If you look real good, you can see it. It's, it's yeah. kind of hard to see from the map. But uh, went through, clear cut that, and uh, dammed it all up on the one side. And I got like about a four foot uh, pipe uh, by about ten foot long uh, that runs there, and that's the overflow for that. Um, and then I just started adding plots after plots. You know, to me, you know, I, I'm used to being like Carroll County. You know, it's you know probably sixty forty. You know, sixty percent woods, forty percent you know, ag there, and it's it's a lot easier to hunt there compared to down here in the big woods, and that's kind of my whole thing is you need to open it up if you can. Make them deer go down, you know, make them deer go in those pinch points and, you know, just kind of maneuver them to where you want them to be. Yeah, and it's kind of one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today that you brought up was the, the big woods, how to bring these nice, mature bucks on your property in a certain, you know, area by your tree stand in the big woods where they have the whole woods to roam. Um, I'm not quite done with that strip pond yet. Explain <laughs> explain how you did that again. So basically I went through there and, you know, water flows south. Yeah, I see that. I think I see the pond down here. And we'll, we'll share this for the listeners on on the episode uh, post on, the, on HabitatPodcast.com. But it looks like there's a big ravine that comes down, which is obviously a drainage, and then you dammed it up. Yeah, so if you look, you know, you see the cabin up in the, the top right, so it'd be okay. the northeast part. Yeah, so, yeah. right. Because I ended up building a new cabin there and build a okay. new barn and all that stuff and put a pond up there too. But uh, there's actually, I mean, it's long and narrow and literally went through. We did this in a day after work. We went down there and cut, I mean, you know, an acre worth of timber. And there was some decent-sized timber in there. Didn't probably about four hours and just knocked everything down in that whole ravine. And because the guy with the dozer was over at my neighbor's, uh, the property of the north, and he was doing work there, and he's like, yeah, I'll come over and I can I can do that for you. So he came in with a dozer. He actually shot it first with a, a transit to make sure it was going to work um, before we did all that work. But uh, and, and what's that mean? Uh, he shot it with a transit. So basically to see the grade, to see where he needs to be, okay. um, build the dam. Oh, cool. So went through, and like I said, we leveled that whole thing. He came in, I think he did it in like three days, basically cleared out all those trees with the dozer, piled up dirt, and I think the dam was roughly around, I think it was around 16 to 17 foot up. It came down a little bit, but uh, the water, it's out in that deep end. It's probably around 10 foot right now, but uh, yeah, just, he put a, put the big pipe in. It was four inch diameter by 10 foot long. I think it was, or 20 foot long. And that's basically the overflow and you get the good rains down there in them, in those counties with them hills. I mean, I actually, if you look to the North, my neighbor's got about a five acre lake. Well, his drains into the creek. That creek comes right into my pond. So it works out really good for stocking it and for keeping it filled. Oh, wow. You're not kidding. So it actually stocks up, too? 
Oh, yeah. He stalked my pond. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I tell him it all the time. I tell him, thanks for stalking my pond. And I actually did stalk it as well. I added some in there myself. But uh, he definitely keeps it good as well. Well, his property looks pretty badass, too. I mean, yeah, well, he's, yeah, he's got a pretty nice piece. It's about 286 acres. So um, I'm sure that's nice having somebody nearby who's hopefully on the same page as you. Yes. With, with yeah. some things. Yep. So with that with that strip pond, did you find that the deer are going around it one side or the other, right? I mean, did you create a, a funnel on each side? Yeah, so on the end, on the south side of it, see, we were thinking they were going to travel more to the northern part, so it would be a, more of a pinch between my property or the uh, pond up top in the cabin. But that's like a it's, – it's, it's a big ravine right there too. And we figured we'd put a stand down that bottom – and uh, get them going through there and really didn't find too much luck. But then obviously, you know, with thermals and stuff like that and being down the bottom, it's it kind of kicks you in the butt a little bit because it swirls so much. And, you know, Danny talked a little bit about that on the last podcast. Right. But uh, it's obviously still, you know, a ravine on the south side of that. But uh, it's kind of like a four-way, we called it. And I actually put a mineral spot down there where I, I, I do my mineral and I, I, I basically get my – I get to see what deer I have. That's take my, I take my inventory there. And I usually get quite a bit, which is kind of weird because it's on the eastern part of my property. Um, but they always come down off the hill because my neighbor has a big set of pines over to the east. And they just, they love them pines. And they come out of them pines, come down into my place, run through my property, and then go wherever they need to go. Um, and, you know, before I had the big S plot in there, you know, there really wasn't a lot of food for these deer. I mean, there's some timber management here, but people aren't cutting as much as what we need to, and it's a lot of mature forest through here, so you're definitely lacking a lot of food. Um, so basically, I'm, I'm kind of thinking I need to, you know, make my property be the main property of the influencer to hopefully, uh, you know, obviously make myself more successful, but uh, to also help the herd too. So before we get into kind of where you started with your, your plan on your property, those pines, um, are the deer bedding in there for, like, thermal cover, or are they bedding in there all the time, or are they just hang out, not bedding in there at all, or what do you know about those pines down well, in, mean, this, in this hill country? It's kind of interesting to see pines. Yeah, it is, and, you know, I, I don't know the exact story on it, but I'm pretty sure uh, my neighbor, is his dad actually bought the place back, I mean, it was probably back in the 70s, I think. You know, back then, they probably paid, like, 15 grand for the whole Piece, you know, unreal, unreal. <laughs> I know it makes you makes you hurt right now, but uh, uh, unreal. But I, I want to say that they planted those back then, okay. um, because yeah, they're all mature. They are. I mean, they're they need harvested, and he knows. And I think he's actually he's working with a forester as well. I think the same forester as me, and uh, I think he's going to be having some cuts done here soon. So that should really benefit. But uh, you know, from what I know, I don't. I, you know, I don't go over there. We respect each other's boundaries and everything like that. But you know, if I ever. If I shoot a deer and it goes on his property, he gives me permission, you know, and all that. So we have a pretty good relationship there. And uh, But I, I'm pretty sure that's where they're at. I, I think they're staying there. Um, he doesn't really hunt that piece. I mean, there's – I think that's about an 80-acre piece right there. If, it, if you draw a line from the northern part of my border straight across and then his down, it's about an 80-acre piece. And uh, he doesn't really touch that piece other than during gun season. So I oh, think nice. you just feel secure, and it's, I mean, it's just like a little deer haven for him. So, Zach, walk us through, once you closed on this property and 
you got to know a little bit. How did you come up with your plan, and what did you tackle first? So when I first bought the place, you know, I really didn't know much, you know. I just go out, you find a good spot, you sit, and you kill deer, right? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is when I bought this place, you know, I, I asked the, the previous owner a little bit about it, and he asked, I asked him where I should hunt and stuff like that, and he told me down in the valley, which I did. And the funny thing is, the week after I bought that place, I went down into that valley, and it was it was like a beautiful park-like setting down there. It just just looked pristine, and I, I loved it. And uh, I actually was sitting down there. I took my climber down there because I got, uh, you know, permission to hunt with, you know, my down payment that day. So that following week, like I said, I went down that following week, and I got down in that valley, and, and I just hunted the afternoon, and I did stay that night. But uh, got in there, and I don't know what time it was, probably about 4 o'clock, and I probably say it wasn't – maybe an hour and a half later, this biggest buck I've ever seen, you know, at the time, it was an 11 point, comes <laughs> off the hill, comes down, starts tearing up these brush at the bottom. It might even been bush honeysuckle for all I know from what I remember. But uh, just tearing it up. I'm sitting there with a grunt tube, and I'm like, I, he's only about 30 yards away from me. You know, I don't know a lot. So I hit this tube, and he looks up at me, and he comes right at me. Well... My dumbass, sorry for the saying that, but uh, left You're my good. string left my string hanging from my bow rope down. He runs right into my bow string and he takes off before I can get a shot. I was at full draw, getting ready to shoot him. I couldn't shoot completely down, and he took off right back the way he went, oh, and I man. couldn't get a shot on him. But oh, uh, no. Dude, it was it was miserable. I was like, I don't know, but I was pumped though too because you know you're so excited. You have this new property and you just see the biggest buck you know, you've ever seen, and it's like, holy cow, you know, and so I had a lot of great sightings, you know, I mean, the property, he said he cut it, I think, at the beginning of 2000, so there were some areas that obviously were still mature, because he had, he had a select cut done, but uh, some areas were pretty decent, so it did hold it, and obviously, you know, it helps with the, the property to the next, the neighbors, it doesn't hunt, too, so, I mean, there's, there's deer there with age, so, and, and they manage as well. But, uh, man, you know, it's just hunting was so good for about the first three, four years. I mean, I was getting five, six, seven deer that were, I mean, 140s, 150s, up into the 160s, 70s. Wow. I mean, it was like every year. So, and then when it started to get in about, I would say probably like 14, 13, 14, the sightings started going down. And it's like, well, what's going on? I haven't did anything different. You know, I'm not, I don't think I'm pressuring it too much. It's just, it's just like anything, habitat, habitat. That's kind of what I, that's the biggest thing. Habitat is the big deterrent for deer to disappear. You know, the food's not there, or, you know, if they don't feel secure, you know, they're not going to be there. So. And I think that was the year Ohio got hit with uh, EHD pretty bad too. And I think, I think that is true too. 13 yeah, I remember my neighbor saying something about that as well. That could have had something to do with it, too. I was in Nebraska that year, and it was hit real bad out there. 13 was definitely that year. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's amazing. And, then, you know, obviously I, I, the neighbors to the east, um, they're actually Amish. They still own that piece. That's about 200 acres. And those guys were killing 160s, 170s. And the one year they killed a 190, I mean – it was just killing deer back, you know, back to back to back. I mean, every year. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, 
you know, I, it's like I'm, I feel like I'm not a bad hunter, you know. And, and the funny thing is, when I go over there and I, and I started going down because they're, you know, they their drives past mine, and you go down, and then when I got back to their property, you know, they have these big red signs on it. I'm like, what is that thing? And there's like a deer on it, and stuff like that, and you know, it said like quality deer management here, you know. And that's, no kid. Yeah, and they were actually a bit big advocates for that, and that's kind of where I learned about QDMA. Um, so that kind of what got me going, and I was like, you know, I asked them about it and started looking it up, and I was like, man, how did I not know about this? You know, and been hunting for you know probably ten years, and I never heard about it. Hmm. So it's it's kind of funny, and I think I think Ohio because Ohio's hunting's good. It is, and you can't really complain there. And sure. I think that's one reason why a lot of guys in Ohio, you know, don't really know about QDMA. Because the hunting's good already. You know, you look at guys like, I mean, Jared, you're up in Michigan. I mean, your hunter numbers, and even you, Brian, in PA, you guys, you know, have the most hunters per square mile, you right. know, in the United States. So you Ever. guys got to do something to make yeah. your hunting better. Right. Yeah, when you're not struggling, you're really not looking around to fix anything, I guess. Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, you can, Ohio can be so much better if people would take, you know, their habitat a lot more serious. Oh, you're not kidding about that. So what was the first big project that you came up with, and how did you come up with that? So, you know, like anything, <laughs> you want to jump on that first big thing that you hear about, and that was hinge cutting. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I I like, I think hinge cutting has a place, but uh, I went all out. Um you can't really tell now in that map that I sent you, but you can see if you look in the bottom right corner, there's like a spot that looks like it's, you know, early successional growth. Yeah. And it's actually a hillside. And I went in, it's it's probably about an acre, about half an acre, an acre. And I went through and I just hinge cut all these trees and cut down trees in that whole spot. And uh, that was probably my biggest regret of anything I've ever done to this property. Because lo and behold, I got to meet my new friend called Tree of Heaven. And <laughs> that was not a good thing because that right. stuff exploded in there. And I didn't know it was there. You know, I never knew what the tree was until I started seeing all these things and then reading a little bit. And then obviously, you know, I've, I've been working with uh, the state and getting, uh, well, obviously I've learned about trees and stuff like that, too, with QDMA, but also with uh, working with the state on equip programs and stuff like that in the NRCS. And, uh, yeah, let's just say a hillside full of early successional habitat and tree of heaven. So you got briars, brambles, and all kinds of crap that loves to tear you up. Um, on a hillside with tree of heaven is not a lot of fun, uh, especially in the summertime when you're in there trying to kill it. Sure. So what kind of uh, other negative things did you see come from that besides the invasive? So, you know, I think a lot of problems that I have is impulse. <laughs> As you can see from the start when I bought the place, <laughs> I kind of just jump into it and then kind of navigate from there. That's um, how you like, learn. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, believe me, I failed a lot, and, and that's kind of what you got to do. You know, you got to fail to learn, and sometimes it takes me a few extra times to learn, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, invasives is the biggest thing. Um, I, another thing with in steep terrain like this, I think another big problem that people don't realize is um, 
loss of soil, so yeah. you're having erosion. Erosion's a big problem on my property as well. Um, I'm actually going to be working with getting some water bars put in uh, this year. I actually just signed my new lease, my new contract with Equip. Um, I actually just got it today. I actually got to sign it. But uh, I gotta, I'm got going to put in a bunch of uh, water bars on uh, some of my steep slopes. Wow, cool. So what would you do differently now, knowing what you know now and what you didn't know then? Um. I probably thought it out a little bit more on some of the stuff I did. I, I don't regret the openings and stuff that I've, I've done on the property. Um, I think I would have made my my uh, strip pond a little bit bigger. Um, that would have been one thing. I definitely wouldn't have cut that spot that I did uh, where the tree of heaven grew up. Um, that's definitely a no-no. Would you have uh, just left it as is or <laughs> just not cut it or what? You know, it was actually a lot of sugar maple down there, and that's another thing I made a mistake on. There was sugar maple, maple and poplar down there. Um, I would have had a timber harvest done, probably a select cut, like you said. Okay, yeah. Um, made a little bit of money off of it, which I probably should have. Um, I mean, that's... that's yeah, were, were those deer using that that hill that you cut at all before it got overtaken or not at all? or What, what, what were your results there? So the results kind of, I don't think they were that good. Um, it, it's a steep, it's a steep hill. It is. So for, for the reasoning for me to cut that, I, I don't know what I was thinking because I was like, man, I, you know, I figured maybe they would have betted on there, but I think it was too steep for them to. Plus it gotcha. was, you know, it's facing east, so it's not really anything great. Um, so that's one reason why I probably just left it go. Um, it was actually pretty good hunting. The way it was, even though it was, you know, a deer desert, you know, a park-like setting, the deer went through there all the time. So maybe that kind of pushed them off my property to the south, and I think they might have started traveling there more because I could see heavier trails to the backside of my border. Um, so, yeah, I, I probably would have just kind of ignored that whole cut. So how did you address the food situation? Did you decide to go food plots, or what was your next step on that? So, I've, I, you know, I've, I've talked to some people before, and I actually got into a thing with uh, Jake Elinger and Randy Vanderveen before. Um, I had a little meeting with them and did, like, a habitat plan over the phone. Uh, this was, oh, man, I want to say probably about three, four years ago. And... They pretty much, I kind of got the idea from them, and they said essentially, you know, a property like this, you want, you know, anywhere from probably 6 to 10% of your property in food plots. Okay. And and I'm sitting there looking, you know, you look at the map, and you look at it, it's like, man, it's just trees everywhere. You know, my one neighbor to the north, he, he does have some fields, but he just, they just bail it. They don't plant them. So mm-hmm. I pretty much count those out. Um, soils are not that great. You know, that's another thing I wish I would have learned about. Uh, back when I was buying property, or bought this property, um, though I don't regret it. The soils are not good, though. There, it's a lot of clay. Um, yeah, so I'm like, I need to open this up. So I started, you know, opening up small little spots, like the one of these. Like I said, it's about three quarters of an acre. Um, did that over a winter. We opened that up, and uh, noticed deer coming into there. I, I started doing some clover in that, and then uh, just kind of in moving to brassicas, you know, more of a fall food because 
fall fruit is scarce here. I mean, if, if you don't have a good acorn crop, you're, these deer are scrounging. Because right. a lot of these people, there is a, a landowner to the north of my northern neighbor. He has like 700 acres, and he's an old conservation officer. So he does a very good job at managing his place um, as for timber and stuff like that. And even the Amish to the to the west of me do too, and sure. so that does help. But I mean, I think it's got to be a you know a collective thing where everybody's got to put in a little bit of a part to uh, help stuff out. So I mean, it's not like we're cutting every so many years or nobody's doing big clear cuts. So I mean, select cuts are good, you know. But for big woods like this, it's like man, you need a good food source, at least numerous food sources. I think for sure. Or, I'm even under the impression that I need to be over 10% on just my 60 acres. You know, so I need to have at least six six acres of food, and and I'm working on it. And I might have maybe one or two more spots to open it up than I can. But you know, with the terrain that we have down there, that's that's another thing you're you know you're dealing with. It's tough. Yeah, even if you could get some woody browse mixed in and some early successional stuff, like you said, just to make up the extra couple percents that you need but you know if you're having tree of heaven problems that that's another thing that's probably nagging in the back of your mind when you go to open things up too yeah exactly it's you know it's an ongoing battle but you know i do love it it keeps me going keeps me feeling somewhat young i guess um but yeah and, and i'm in a i'm in a forestry program too so you know i'm gonna have a cut probably done here at the end of my plan which is 2023 and uh, I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to really help out as well. And like I said, my neighbor's going to be cutting his. So, I mean, the hunt's still pretty good right now. I mean, I shot the best buck I've ever killed uh, last year. Um, but I, I think the hunting's going to get a lot better here real soon. Tell us a little bit about that buck. Oh, geez. So, that's, that's his, his name. I never really named a deer, but uh, we call this deer Lucky. And he's kind of been on the radar, um, man, since I want to say 2015, I want to say, 16. Wow. This is what? Yeah, 2016. So he came on the radar. He was a, a solid 10 point. And uh, my Amish neighbors to the west, and uh, they actually, we were thinking he was a three and a half. And that's kind of what our, our goals are around there is anything three and a half in order, you know, we'll shoot. Sure. And uh, he hit him in the shoulder. And I have pictures of him. He literally, he shoots rage, and he hit him in that shoulder, and his shoulder was just gouged. I mean, it was plain as day. I mean, it looked like uh, three times the size of a rage. I mean, the big cut open that he had there, and I'm like, man, that is wild. And what I had time him of year was that? It was November. So, you know, and he healed up, you know, he, he struggled a little bit that year. Um, but the following year he, uh, he took on a little bit more. He he grew into, I think it was 11 point mainframe 11, um, put on, I bet probably close to 20 inches. So it wasn't bad for, you know, how bad we thought he was. And uh, the funny thing is, so that would be what, 2000, so that would be 16, 17 season. This next one would be, what, 17, 18, I think it was. Um, my neighbor to the south shot him during November in the opposite shoulder. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> in that shoulder. And it actually was a little bit higher on the shoulder this time. Didn't really make too bad of a mark on it, but it skipped off him. He was 
oh man, he was bummed out so bad. And, uh, so we just, we called him lucky. And, you know, I, I seen him a few times in the distance. Um, I think that year and then the following year, um, I had him about 60 yards. He was actually on the other side of my pond. I was hunting right on the edge of my pond, the strip pond, um, up on that food plot to the east. And he was traveling parallel to that strip pond um, down below. It would be like my main plot. Um, that was before I had the S plot in. And uh, he would always run over that way. And I had a, what I called another four-way where it comes out of that valley from the south part of the strip pond. And it went up that hill, and he'd always go up and through there. And so I was just kind of hunting over there because I was just kind of waiting. I was running the decoy over there, too, just to kind of see what I had going on. But uh, he was literally right on the other side of that pond. And I just sat there and watched him from my stand, just about to cry, as he just kind of made his way real slow down through there. And come to find out, it wasn't probably a couple days later, my neighbor to the north said that he had a guy hunting bow hunting over at his place and he said he hit a branch and missed that buck. <laughs> so wow. like dude this guy so we're like he's lucky. He this he is lucky. Yeah, so, you didn't name him, he named himself. Yeah, he named himself pretty much. So, you know, this past year in nineteen, um, I went all in on a habitat plan. I was like, I'm 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 clearing a bunch of land. I actually cut if you look to the, the southwest um, of the S plot, or just basically to the west of that that S plot, I actually had a little select cut, and that actually compensated me for the clearing that I had done. Plus, I made a little bit of money, which kind of worked out nice. And uh, I was like, I, I got to do something. I got to do something because they're just you can't pattern these deer. And uh, I actually set up a tree stand. I mean, you'll be able to show this whenever you do, but uh, you'll see the green spot. That's That was the main plot right there, which I actually did add on to that, to the left a little bit. Um, so it's just a green field there. Um, it's actually just clover. Um, there's a little patch of woods in between that and that S. And I have a stand just inside of that little patch. It's just like a perfect little spot. And I can access it coming down from the cabin. The access is almost flawless because it comes down out of that bottom, comes up below that green spot because I'm actually below that, probably about 20 feet. And I walk right into the back side of that stand, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not visible by anything. And I can get in there. So that day, um, the October 18th, it's a Friday. I actually got out of work a little bit early. They let us out a little early. Because I was actually having a share your hunt through QDMA on Saturday. I had two new hunters coming down to my place. And uh, so I got out of work early and I told my BP, I was like, hey, let's let's get down and let's try to get in the woods. You know, we had a cold front coming in. It was, I think it was supposed to be the first frost that day. And uh, let's get down there and get in. He's like, all right, so that'll work. And he was, we get on the road and I'm down, I'm hauling my side by side, heading down 77. And uh, he's probably about, I'd say, 20 minutes behind me or so, 30 minutes behind me. And I actually got down by uh, his exit, I think his exit 65. It's like the Port Washington Newcomers Town area. And they had some construction there, which I think they still have construction going on. And <laughs> they had barriers in there. And I'm literally driving. There's a car in front of me and a car to the right of them. And we get into that construction. Well, I'm seeing the distance that there's a 
people are in the road on the highway. I'm like, what the heck's going on? And I look in front of the vehicle in front of me. I mean, it's I mean, it's coming up fast. You're going 55, 60 miles an hour. One of the barriers, so the people on the northbound lane, as I'm heading south, hit the barrier, knocked it into our lane. So the car in front of me has to her abruptly get over. So they hit the car to the side of them. I get over in the one lane, and I don't know how I miss these two cars. They get over. They start swerving. I go in between them with a trailer, 20-foot trailer, and go right through them, and, and they just Jeez. kind of fall over and get over. Dude, I just I, – I don't even know what happened. And I'm going – and I literally – I called my buddy. And I was like, dude, I'm so lucky right now. I should be playing the lottery. And I go – I told him, I go, hey, you know, make sure you be careful coming down through there, all this stuff. So I get down there. I get my stuff. I, I haul into there, get up in there in the stand. As I'm getting up into the, or getting up to get to the stand, I never put a bow rope in this stand. So I'm sitting there like, how do I get my bow? <laughs> That's always luckily, fun. Yeah, I was like, luckily I had my backpack, so I jimmied it into there, got it in there. I'm climbing up, I'm clanking, making noise. Look over into that big the the uh, field, the green field that you can see on the map. There's three does in that field, and they're looking at me, trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Finally, I get up, get in there, get settled in. They're calm. There's nothing going on. It's like 5.30, 6 o'clock by the time I settle in. I'm like, well, my my hunt's probably going to be screwed. So, like, whatever. So I just sit there. About 6.59, I see a deer coming to the right, literally, because you can't see much. Because once they make the turn, you know, you can see them. And it literally was him. It was lucky. He was coming down. He looked over at them does, and then he turned and came right in because it's set up for a 20-yard broadside shot. Comes into that plot, stops at the top, right where that little patch of trees is, right in front of that stand, and sits there at 20 yards. I'm full draw, shaking, because he needs to make one step. And finally he makes that step, and I let go and put it right in the pump house, man. And he goes, He goes barreling through it into that through the food plot into that spot that I had, you know, select cut to pay for that part. And I hear crashing, but you know, you don't see them go down. So you're sitting there like, okay, what happened? What happened? A good shot. Do I know what I, you know, you don't know. So I just stop and I I call my buddy and I tell him like, Hey dude, I I just shot lucky. I just shot lucky. And it's funny, you know, because I told them earlier how lucky I was on the trip down you know, it's like it all kind of worked out together, and it's like, man, this is just meant to be. So, I mean, I, I called them. We go back, we get a beer. <laughs> I got to calm down, and then uh, we go out there and we we track him, and, and he wasn't probably thirty yards in there, and it was it was phenomenal. It was it was the best day. I mean, especially you got two you got two of your buddies there. Um, you know, my other volunteer came down to help too, and. They get down there, and actually it's funny because the two new guys that were, they came down to hunt. They got down there later on, too, and we're sitting there, you know, celebrating crazy. You know, he shot a 170-inch deer, and these guys are like, what is going on? You know, they don't they don't know <laughs> what, what, the, what this is, you know, and you just shoot a 170-inch deer, and they're like, okay, cool, let's drink, all right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, I mean, I called the one neighbor, you know, both the Amish neighbor was down and, you know, my neighbor to the south, too, that, hit him as well, both of them that shot him in the shoulders. I called him and, and told him to come on over, and they came over. They loved it. It was, it was a great little thing, you know, with knowing your neighbors and stuff like that and kind of working together, It's it really makes everything well worth it. 
That's what it's oh, all man. about. Yeah, he's he's a stud too. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it's I mean it's a six by six, but you know he's got five points on the bases too, and yeah, I mean it's you can't get no better than that. So why do you think he was coming through that plot or that cut area um, at that time? You know, and why did you choose to to hunt there? Um, and I'm sorry, what date was that again? October 18th. The 18th, okay. Which I think is a great time to to be in the woods based on what my camera showed me. Um, why do you think all that happened habitat-wise? Relate us to how you think what you did and what your property holds or maybe even the terrain on, on to why you guys met there at that spot. So, I mean, I obviously love the pinch point, but uh, I was getting some pretty good pictures of him um, during the summertime. Um, he was actually running with a pretty nice 9.2. Um, I, I love them cold fronts. And, you know, I, you know Jake Elinger, he talks about them, and, and a lot oh, yeah. of people talk about them. And, and that first cold front that's coming in, I mean, first frost, and, you know, they even say them deer will come back to those, you know, those summer spots on them first time looking for that first estrus doe, which uh, mm-hmm. some people might not believe, but uh, I even have the data because I'll, I'll shoot does late season just to pull fetuses and take measurements. Um, that's another little thing that we learned in DS2. Um, it's another little tool you can have just to kind of see where your herd's at. Um, there's a fetus scale measurement um, table that you can get. I know they have it on the website for QDMA, and uh, I use that. And uh, I have in the past um, actually have fetuses. Let's see here. The one that I shot, it was... I think the year before, I shot a doe. It was um, January, let me see here, January 28th, I shot a doe on my place. Um, It had twins in it. Um, So basically, you take both of them, you measure them on that scale, and uh, basically take the median between both sides, and uh, you just do some calculations on that. And I found out that the doe that I shot was actually bred on roughly October 11th, and that's using 198 days for gestation. Um, so, I mean, obviously it can be plus or minus a few days there, and uh, which that those two twins probably would have been born around April 27th. But then I even find I took some measurements from my neighbor where he shot a doe um, just before that muzzleloader on the 6th, and uh, his would have been bred around November 15th, which is what you think is normal, um, and then made it born around, you know, June, June 1st. So that's just like another thing you can do. Um, I, I think I have a little bit of a doe issue, so I think that could be one reason why. Um, you know, you're getting... Well, and, and how old was your doe compared to the doe he shot? So the doe that he shot, I, I'm thinking it was a four and a half. Okay. Um, from what we did, and then the doe that I shot, I want to say I... You know, obviously doing teeth wear is not the best way, but you can get a pretty good guesstimate. You can get at least two and a half in order on it um, by looking at the cusp. So, like, the third premolar back, if it's a three cusp, you know, it's going to be, you know, about one and a half, two or younger. Well, one and a half, two. Um, you know, a fawn's going to have less than that. It's going to have five. Um, when you have a two cusp on that third premolar, um, you're going to look at two and a half in order. So you know that deer's at least two and a half in order, and obviously you go by the wear of the dentine and that when you go back through there with the molars. But um, I, I roughed her at three and a half, 
Hmm. So, I mean, they're not like they're young deer. So, no, no, I figured yours would have been much older, uh, based on you know maybe being one of the first matriarchal does to come into heat that early, or or be bred that early. Um, yeah. Usually, what you what I've heard is that that's usually the older deer. Yeah. Or your or your neighbor, that's that's pretty much spot on, dead nuts. Yep. Um, Yep. So that's interesting. And then you mentioned that sometimes a buck will go back to his summer core area. Yeah. Explain explain what you meant by that and where you've heard that before. That's that's interesting to me. Well, I actually heard that. Um, it was kind of fun. I make a kind of a correlation there from actually watching White Town Cribs with Exodus. Um, I think there was a guy on there from Ohio that was talking about it. Adam Hayes talked about that and that date. I think around the fifteenth to the nineteenth how they'll return back um, to their summer place. Um, though every deer is their own, um, he is a home, homebody. Lucky was a homebody. Okay. I mean, you know, all the neighbors there know him. Right. But, uh, <laughs> obviously, obviously, you know, they know him. But, uh, you know, he's coming back kind of looking for that first doe, I think, you know, coming back to those spots where he was hanging out with a bunch of does. I mean, I got pictures of him with, you know, obviously that other buck I was telling you about. And uh, there was probably six or seven does in that field, too. Wow, wow, that's that's interesting. And your your poor neighbors with the shoulder shots. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've been so oh, scared really? of this. Yeah, I've been so scared of the shoulder since I I had a couple deer there in college, and I've been aiming a little bit behind the shoulder ever since. And uh, we we can talk about arrow weights and shot placement for for hours here. But imagine if they were, you know, just a little bit lower, missed that scapula. You know, you'd have been. You've been SOL. That's crazy. Oh, I know. And you know, to even make the story even better, um, that year that my first Amish neighbor shot him in the shoulder where he had that big gash, that deer, I used to put out a lot of corn. I don't I do not do corn too much anymore. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I had that deer pattern to come in to that corn, and I actually did share your hunt that year too. And uh, I took my nephew out for the first time, and he was coming into that corn. Well, I had a spike come in, and then I actually had this – very nice eight point. He was about a two and a half year old eight point that came in. Well, two and a half he was. Um, and I told my cousin or my nephew, I told him, I go, hey, if you want to wait, I'm pretty sure that this ten point is going to be coming in. And he was so excited when he seen that eight point. He shot the eight point. He shot it, and killed it right there. So right. that actually even saved it there. And I was even going back <laughs> to my data, and it's kind of funny. I don't have. I, I have, you know, obviously a little bit of a memory. You know, I'm getting old. I kind of forget stuff. But uh, I was talking to my cousin because he shot a, a nine point on the property back in 15. And uh, it's funny because in 14, I actually shot that same buck, but I put a bad shot on him. And uh, he shot in the following year. But it's funny because in 14, when I shot that nine point, the day after, out of the same stand, I shot a 10 point. And I always thought it was a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I was going back and doing the math. It very well could have been that same buck. It could have been lucky. Wow. Because I don't know for a fact, but I almost think that maybe it was. Because it's funny sure. because I, I walked up into him, actually down in that big valley. He was hiding behind a tree that was blown down on the edge of a creek. Like, so it was just the ball roots. And I walked literally right to him, didn't even see him, was in Penchench and going to the backside of my property to a stand I had down there. And he was there. And it was funny because I ended up, you know, obviously I 
I shot a 10 point in the shorter. I'm not a good shot, just to let people know. <laughs> they can probably tell. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, and I kind of put that correlation to it, and I was like, I very well could have actually shot him at, as a two and a half year old back wow. in 14. So I don't know if it's for true, you know, you know, for real, but it very well could be possible because the age that I thought the deer, he ended up being a year older when I sent it in for Cementia Manuli. So with all the data I had, I, I was thinking he was a six and a half and he ended up being a seven and a half from what they said. Jeez. And where do you think he was betting? Was he betting on you or neighbors or all the above? Or So I'm pretty sure he was actually betted on my property whenever I shot him that day. I mean, you're right in the core of of a bunch of good topography. I mean, yeah, I, I really like how your your property's set up. So I, would, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Away from a lot of buildings and away from the roads, it's it's really laid out perfectly. Yeah, it's I just, that's what I love about it. You know, it's, there's nothing around. So it's it, it does work out good, but I, I swear, I mean, obviously they, they don't get on their feet usually till you know that last half an hour, which that was about right because you know it was like seven o'clock when I shot him. I think it got dark at I think shooting time went to seven thirty or seven or eight. I can't remember what it was, um, but I, I think he was literally betting just to the west of that uh, from where he came down at. I, I think he was right up there. I have a little thick spot that I have, and I think that's where he came from. That's that's the only thing I can think of because I don't think he traveled very far. So, very cool. Well, congrats again. Let's just start. I just I just stalked your Facebook and saw him on there. He's huge. Congrats. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when you when you shared him. Uh, I believe it was last fall. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. That's 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 what dreams are made of, right there. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's what it's all about. You know, having that the data and the history with a deer like that, it, it makes it worth it all all the more you know it's i'm very thankful for that opportunity and especially being able to share it with the guys that were with me too so I, it was great so who did your habitat plan so really it's kind of been my own um you know i, I did work with like i said i did a over the oh you said it was randy and randy and jake okay randy and jake and, and they after they, you were working on stuff for a while yeah yeah i started working on stuff you know they they drew actually they drew a whole thing up and you know, doing it over the thing like that, it was it was great, and they gave me a lot of great ideas. And it's just there was just a lot going on, and I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to do a lot of that stuff. Right. So I just kind of took some of the stuff that they had, and I just basically put it into where you know from the stuff I've learned, and and just kind of put it into what I have right now. And and I'm really liking my my uh, what's going on. I mean, it's I'm having success. I mean, shot opportunities are great. Um, I mean sightings are up you know I, I try to document my sightings too and uh any, any type of thing you know weights we, we take weights on harvest of deer trying to see how those are going um yep. they actually are starting to go up right now so that is good that means we're starting to feed them a little bit better um you know it's it's, it's every little piece of the puzzle man you put those all yeah. together and, and that's that's what makes success now it's, it's good to get some some outside eyes looking down every now and then that way you know you can get out of your, you know, you might have your blinders on of one vision, the only way you see it. It's definitely good to have some other other eyes. And I'm sure you've experienced that with QDMA guys and oh, stuff yeah. you learn. Um, I, what I want to ask about, your your food plot, your main food plot throughout the middle of your property. Yeah. 
I'm looking down, and I see you got the one plot up by your cabin, you got the one to the west, and you got this big S-curve. Yes. How big is that whole plot? And tell me about why you put it there, what, why that shape, and um, then we'll get into maybe what you're planting there as well. Okay. Um, so basically, you know, it's you know, my property, if you look at it, it was all woods. Um, I needed to do something. And the way that was, that was probably the only area that I, I – could have got a plot in. Okay. Um, so I actually worked with Hillcrest Lumber um, and got them down there, and we actually – I kind of was looking to do not a complete S. I was going to do the top part going down and then kind of run it down over to the ridge over top. And the one guy, his name was Nelson, um, he was doing the uh, dozer work. Dude, it was awesome, man. He was a beast on that thing. I loved it. I loved watching it. It was, it was phenomenal. He's like, hey, why don't we just turn this backside towards, because I actually had a plot at the back end of that. He's like, let's just connect it to that. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> why not? So it actually, it actually turned out real well um, doing that. And, you know, it's those deer got to travel that whole thing to catch that whole plot unless they go up top. And I'm even starting to block the top part because there is a higher point to the west where you can actually get, if you're up there, you have an advantage point to see pretty much all that plot. So I'm up there now. I'm, I'm actually hinge cutting some trees down to block it to actually kind of protrude them from being able to see from the top so they can't just cruise that top ridge and look down in there. I want to have them deer down in there. So, I remember seeing the picture on Facebook. It's a beautiful-looking plot. It gets higher in elevation to the west, right? Yes. And then lower to the right. So, you're kind of on a shelf, if you will. Yes, it is. And then, so you're, and then you're adding hinge cutting or forestry of some sort to help condition these deer to get off that top where they can scope the whole thing out without coming into bow range. Yep. And, and, uh, and come on down. Exactly. And, like, to the west, okay. I had that select cut done. You know, they obviously took, you know, crop trees, but so there was a lot of, like, red maple, multi-stem trees, sassafras, and some junk in there. And I actually just this, you know, earlier this year went in and cut those down and hinge cut some and and actually just felled a lot of them and just let them hit the ground. And I'm letting that grow up. And I actually went in there also and planted a bunch of red oaks, um, put in some white oaks. Also, uh, I think I even put in some black walnut in there, too. Um, Oh, good for you. That's yeah, nice. just to kind of diversify it a little bit in there, and you know, obviously for crop for the future too, because you know the property's not 100% hunting to me. I also want to reap some benefits from timber as well. I do have some good crop on there, um, a lot of white oak, uh, a lot of hickory, um, some cherry, you know, and red oak as well. So you know, I do want to reap some benefits for that to the future, and also for my kids, and hopefully they'll pass that along. Yeah, I think with the black walnut, that's a great way to start. And I think, uh, you know, the more I the more I do this, my my number one goal is uh, to kill that that mature buck. I, you know, when you start talking property taxes and you start talking everything that goes into managing your property, if you can get a little income off your property and also kill nice bucks, now you're talking. Yeah, buddy. Absolutely. I mean, I, that's my, the way to do it. Yeah, my my property taxes for my 15 acres are like partner two grand a year. So it's kind of like non-homesteaded. It's 
it's not ag because it's not 50% tillable, and then it's below 20 acres, which doesn't help you qualify for a lot of these programs that y'all are, are working with. So, really, it, it, yeah, it's like a, yeah, because like any like a lot of forestry programs or um, NRCS or any of the, the state or federal programs that I've looked into, a lot of them are on 20 acres or more. And if anybody knows of anything that will help, please reach out. But I've done a lot of research, and it seems that you just kind of you know it's, those smaller places are more for for building homes on and. And living on, and that way, that's how you get your break is by homesteading it. Wow! But, yeah, uh, I was a little different than that. See, it's actually you can benefit from anything with ten acres um, or more. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, and I'd hate to tell you what my taxes are because you'd hate me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it just gives me uh, an excuse to uh, come buy some property down your way sometime. Hey, so. Come on down, man. Come on down. <laughs> no, that that's awesome. Um, your place is awesome. I, I want to hear before we uh, wrap this up. We're doing pretty good on time, but um, tell me what you plant in that big S curve food plot and your in your couple satellite plots. Are you one of the guys who does the same mix in every single plot to try to maybe mitigate any chances of a deer going to A versus B or B versus C if they're all the same? Maybe you can pattern them, or are you a guy who likes early season here? Late season here, you know. Tell me about what you got going on with your planting mix. So, like I said at the beginning, you know, soils are not the great. So, one thing you always want to recommend is a soil test. It's something I I, I will stand behind 100%. And I try to tell people that all the time. Take a soil test. And it's the most important thing you can do to get your plots. If you want them to be the most nutritious and palatable, palatable for deer, do that. You're only helping yourself because you're throwing money away on fertilizers and lime and seed because it's <laughs> you're just not doing yourself good. Uh, you, you know, you're wasting money. Believe me, I've been there. I've done that. I thought you go in, you till the ground, you spread seed, and you're good. You know, it's it's just not it's just not what you do. Um, so I, I like to diversify my plots. Um, I I let. I usually try to let one go fallow, maybe a year or two. Um, I think that's a good little thing to do, you know, increase bedding. Um, And, you know, natural forage is great. I mean, you guys know that. Um, Clover is king down here. It's it's crazy to say it, but it is. Um, With the mild winters, clover pretty much can get you through the year, you know, and then greens up. Uh, I've been working with winter rye a little bit more. Um, Also, you know, everybody knows Al. You know, him and I BS quite a bit with Danny as well that was on last week. And uh, I know Al and I kind of got together. It's more him than I, but uh, I, I put a little bit of my own little twist in it. But uh, I got a nice little, I think it was about a 12-way mix that I put in this plot. I, you know, I'm still working on soils right now. I, my pH, when I took the soil test, well, as soon as that was done, I was working with a 5.2 to 5.4 pH, you know, and I was – Missing a lot of micronutrients, you know. My, uh, I want to say my P and K were, I mean, they were below average. So, you know, I'm building that. And then the micronutrients, I was missing, you know, boron. And I had to get it. I'd have to look through my notes and stuff like that. But uh, there was there was numerous things that needed done as well um, to add. And I have done that. I have added that. But uh, I'm planning on taking a soil test next year to kind of see where I'm at. 
Um, but I, I'm building. I'm just building that soil up is what I'm doing. I haven't tilled it. I've not tilled that soil once since I've had that done, um, which it wasn't even tilled when I had it done, you know, obviously other than the dozer running over it. But uh, when I first had it done, I just basically threw oats in there, and I had a bunch of bags of soybeans. It probably wasn't the best thing to throw the soybeans in there, but I just had them, so I threw them in, and I threw oats in there, and I threw some uh, crimson and frosty bursium, um with winter rye as well, and uh, just kind of working on that. So how long ago was that when you started doing that, when you were at the 5.2, 5.4? So that was last year. Yeah, okay. I, had that, I had that done last May um, when I had that done. So you know, and what's your thought process with uh, all those varieties that you just mentioned? Um, you're just going to build the soil, and then what are you going to do? You're going to spray it and crimp it or pack it? Or, or what's your thoughts on you know planting again this year and then next year? What's, well, I'd your, love, what's your idea? I'd love to start doing regenerative ag on it. I mean, it's very small scale. Um, I, I'm looking at getting a crimper. I think that's going to be a good thing to have. Um I would love to have a no-till drill, but we all know those things are very expensive. For oh, three yeah. Years. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, good thing is that the NRCS um, or the Soil Water uh, Conservation District actually has one you can rent them, and they're very cheap. They're very cost-effective. So why go spend the money on one um, when you can rent one? So I think that's something I was going to do. I was going to do it this year, but we had such a wet spring um, and then basically went into uh, Sahara Desert. Uh, since then, so no oh man, have you? Yeah, Brian <laughs> yeah. understands. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's horrible. I know. Alan, Danny, and I talk about it every day. We sit there and try to do the rain dance, and we just sitting there. We look at the way the weather channel every day, and we, you know, sitting there hoping for a half an inch if we can get it. But that's uh, yeah, something that we ain't going too good with. I'll tell you that. So are you planning on getting crazy and doing, not getting, I'm, I'm kind of sarcastically saying that, like getting crazy and planting like, you know, like some no-till soybeans and, and killing this stuff with a, a herbicide after you broadcast the beans and packing like after a little while? Or, or what are your thoughts moving forward? Do you keep doing the rye and the wheat type thing forever? Or what are your thoughts? You know, it's, it's my, I think my deer density, you know, obviously my doe to buck ratio, I think I have a little too many does and what I need. And I think my deer density is a little bit high for the habitat still. Okay. So being at three acres, um, I still, I threw soybeans in there again this year. You know, I just broadcast them is all I do. Um, but they don't make it very far. It's three acres. I'm not fencing it. I'd rather just let them eat. Um, yeah. You know, it's down the road, I think maybe once that gets, I, I get my, my density down, I think I could probably – get beans to grow in there, um, I think it's going to be tough. So, I mean, I, I do use spray. I, I don't like to use herbicides as much, but, I mean, given the way it is this year, I'm going to have to. I sprayed it already. Um, I, don't know, I would say I planted I planted that 12-way mix, oh, geez, a couple weeks ago, and I did spray when I did that because uh, weeds were starting to take over. Um, I'm probably going to start just going simple. Uh, I think winter rye, winter wheat, um, crimson clover, I love it. I, I think that's something that should be in everybody's food plot for the fall, and it's always beautiful to look at in the spring. Um, frosty bursium is another good one, too, um, to throw in. And, uh, I mean, Harry Vetch is a new one this year. 
I haven't got to see what it, what's going on with that, but uh, I'm pretty optimistic. I think that's going to be a good good little addition to that mix um, as well. So that's, I think that's what I'm going to do. Um, I may try a couple other uh, little little things that are new. Um, we'll see. Any plans for opening up any more openings and all that timber, or are you just going to kind of keep working with what you got? You know, it's funny you say that. I was kind of kicking around today. Um, that green spot in the center of the property, that small little, it's about an acre, um, just to the north of the S plot, I could probably run a, a skinny, long spot straight west um, to the edge of my property. And I've kind of thought about that. Though that's kind of a bedding area right there. But if I just make it real long and narrow, uh, you know, I don't have to hunt it, but just give a nice little food trail to come in because that area right there, I actually planted an orchard in it um, this oh, nice. fall or this winter. I planted about, I want to say 25 or 26 uh, different species, crab apples, pears, uh, apple trees. Um, okay. I ended up working with um, uh, the wildlife group. And uh, they got uh, some cold-hardy trees for me that will work in my, my zone um, to plant there. And I did plant that. And actually, when I was down there, it's been a couple weeks since I've been down. And every single one of them are uh, looking good. So I was very surprised at that. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned talking to Jake Elinger. Uh Jared's been to his place. I've done the virtual tour of his place. And Jared and I are just like, man, we need to cut more. We've got too much yeah. open timber. Yep. And that's why I was just wondering where your head was on that. You know, you're you're battling a different battle there with all the steep terrain, but yeah. just wondering what your thoughts were there. Well, I mean, I, I believe 100% you need to cut more, but I also look at it in the part where I'm, you know, I'm also for here for some money. And I got veneer quality trees. I'm not going to go and cut them. Absolutely. You know, unless they're getting cut for money. So that's, that's my one outlook on it. Um, I don't like to... I don't like to cut crop trees. Um, I don't blame crop trees. I, I'm completely against that. And I love Jake. He's a great guy, but that makes me cringe when I see them guys cutting uh, white oaks. <laughs> it does. Oh, man, they cut everything. Those boys everything. do not discriminate. Oh, I, I, I love them, man. It's, I mean, I, I know they're making great habitat, but, man, that makes me cringe. <laughs> I, I'm kind of in the, in the boat where – my 15 is a real a real trial period for me to learn what I love and don't love and I'm I've taken after them I've I've cut you know non-discriminating just cutting and uh, we'll see how that goes you know it's it's been it's been working I'm also getting myself logged right now so all my yeah my swamp oak and my um, soft maple are are all coming out not all of them but a lot of them and uh, so I think you're right I think uh, you know, we all need to cut more, but at the same time, depending on what your goals are. Yeah. Um, my forester, he cringes when he comes out. He's like, "Man, you hinge cut that that young oak. What are you doing?" I'm like, "It's where I needed it to be hinged. It's a barrier where I park my vehicle, and I'm creating a wall here. Like, don't worry." And he understands. Hunter understands for oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, he likes if I if he mentions, he says a comment every now. I'm like, "Oh yeah, you might want to leave that one." Or I think it's the forester coming out in him. You know. Mm-hmm. As a forester, you, you know, people, but he understands that I have, I have goals that are strictly deer related. So it's, and, uh, it's all about what you, what you want, you know. Yeah, and I agree to an extent. You know, it's just because the thing is, is, 
you know, people need to learn their trees, and, and you guys know your trees and stuff like that, but there's a lot of people go out there and, and they see this stuff. And like I started, sure. and you need to know that stuff because, you know, when I was talking to my forester. Yeah, that's a good that's, point. Is you get these people going in there and, and not only just doing stuff like that, but not working with a forester and having a plan set aside for that property, you can get taken advantage of. Right. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, timber companies that'll come in, they'll high grade the crap out of your property, and that that whole property will flip so quick, and you're gonna have all these soft red maples, you know, junk trees, and you'll never have another cut probably in your lifetime. And that's what we see a lot, and and they're seeing a lot in our state because people are not working with these foresters to manage their forest for the future. And that's another part where it's downgrading our habitat. And that's why people are probably not seeing the deer that they thought they seen because the habitat is getting ruined. Oh, you're 100% right. I mean, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan used to be the best spot to hunt in, in, in Michigan way back when. Yep. Now, in combination with the cold winters, the wolves, and, and everything else, the timber has has not been as strong up there. I believe I'm saying this correctly. And, is, and you know, the deer have shifted. The, the population is not as good up there because the timber harvest is not as uh, popular or common as, as it once was way back when. Yep. Um, and, and predation's a big thing, too, and we're sure. not managing that correctly as well. And we see in Ohio, Brian, you probably see it, bobcats. I mean... I know my county is probably one of the top counties for bobcat sightings, and wow. they need they need to implement some type of hunting farm. I mean, you can't just have a predator out there, not in control, not not taking control of it. Right. I mean, we're regulated on what we can kill, but they're not, and then nobody's stopping them. I mean, bobcats are an issue in Ohio. You, you can trap them, can't you? Or no? Nope. They you are can't? still they are still in the protected species. Oh, so it's, it's kind of like a wolf here in Michigan. Okay. Yeah. So that's like I said, those wolves need somebody needs to take care of them. Oh my gosh! Yeah. No. And they're even they're worse. Right. They kill to kill, you know. Oh yeah, they're they're terrible. They're terrible. Gotta learn the three S's that I learned out west from those ranchers. What's that? Shoot, shovel, shut up. <laughs> that's very good. Exactly. That's why we say not we that we would promote anything like that here at the Habitat Podcast, Brian. <laughs> Brian, I'm going to have to let you go after that comment. Yes. <laughs> no, I think uh, you don't think some guys up in the UP use the three S method on those wolves. I bet they do. I bet they do. And it probably happens in Ohio too with Bobcat. I, I don't doubt it. So it's like anything, you know. People poach. So yeah. Well, what do you got going on this fall, Zach? I want to hear about what your plans are. You know, let's wrap this up with some exciting anticipation. You know, you sent us a picture earlier of somebody who looks kind of freaky. He he looks good. Um, tell, yeah. tell us about this fall. You know, what's on the docket? Well, I'm still waiting on a couple bucks that I had on camera last year um, to show up. I have not got them on camera, but I also have not checked my cameras in a while. So it's still kind of like, you know, a kid waiting for Christmas. So hopefully I'll get back down here in the next week or two. Um, yeah, I did send you guys a nice a picture of a – I'm thinking he's probably a three and a half. He looks like he has some type of pedicle injury because he has a, a funky side on the one. But uh, he has a beautiful, I think, five or six on the one side with the drop. Um, he is nice. He, he very well could be tempting, you know, when I see him this year, uh, if I have nothing else on camera. But uh, – I got. Uh, I actually got a hunt booked um, 
with uh, Wicked Outdoors um, with Cameron Deerfield. I'm going to be going down there hunting early season Kentucky uh, with him. So I'm looking forward to that uh, first part of September. And then uh, I may make a trip out to Kansas this year. Um, I might have an opportunity out there. Yeah, buddy. So I'm looking forward to that possibly. And then uh, obviously here in Ohio. So I got some vacation to use this year. Um, since I shot my buck on like my, I think I was my first or second sit this past year. I uh, got to save an extra week, so I got a little bit of extra time this year to uh, go hunting if I need to. That's awesome. And interestingly enough, you say you shot your buck the first or second sit, yep. and it was the 18th. Yep. I, I hope I hope people are paying attention when when we talk about this stuff about not going into your stuff until the time is right. I mean, you can do all this habitat work all summer and then screw it up by blowing it out early October or or whatever. I mean, do you normally wait like that for the right time? Well, funny thing is, is two years before that, I actually shot uh, a nice nine point. Um, actually, even earlier, I think it was like the sixth or ninth of October. Wow, nice. Uh, and it was funny because that was technically Killer. my second sit. Um, really was my first because I went on a Saturday to hunt because the cold front was coming in on that year. I was climbing up there, got up in the stand, was pulling my bow up, and my rope broke, and my bow fell. So I was like, well, I got down, and <laughs> I left. So I was like, because, you know, I didn't know where my bow was at for shooting. Went back, shot my bow had a softball game on Sunday. I think it was a Sunday. And, uh, you know, I shot my bow. Bow was good. Went to the softball game. I was like, there was another cold. It was still cold, you know. So I went out. I went to my dad's, got up there. I have a spot. It's it's on a tower line. And uh, there was an old fallow field. It was about seven acres. And it's all full of goldenrod. And there was clover underneath. And got up in that stand. I never even knew this deer was in this, this patch until he literally was starting to – he was kind of chasing around some some does and a smaller buck. And I seen him. He literally came right under my stand, and I shot him. So I killed him pretty much on my first set, technically my second. So and that was a nice buck as well. Hey, it, first sits don't lie. You know, waiting for that cold front doesn't lie. I I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing these stories with us and, and your knowledge here tonight. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Zach. Hey, no problem, man. I appreciate you guys having me on here. And uh, good luck to you guys this year. And uh, hopefully we'll keep in touch here. And good luck, uh, you know, shoot straight. And we'll uh, see some big bucks on the ground. All right, Zach. One last question. You may have heard this question before. It's very riveting. I want to hear your favorite tree on, you know, your property, Ohio in general, where you hunt out of habitat-wise. Let's hear it. All right, so there's kind of a few in this, if, if you don't mind. No, so, please go. First off, I love to kill the tree of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I mean, I love the big nostalgia of a, a huge white oak. I think they're beautiful. I love them. But uh, I'm really looking forward to um, – I purchased some chestnuts from a, a local guy actually out of Carroll County. Uh, it's Empire Chestnuts. I believe the guy's name's Greg Miller. He's huge into the Chestnut Foundation and everything like that. He actually grows them. He has a huge chestnut grove in Carroll County. But the, I went and purchased, I think, I don't know, seven or eight of them last year, and I planted them all around my S-plot. 
And uh, I also picked up some Allegheny chinkapins too. So I'm really looking forward to what those trees can do. So I, I would say those are going to be my, my number ones for the future right there. Okay, and why would you go chestnut? Out of all the mass-bearing trees you could have chosen from, um, I mean, apples or, or anything else, tell me why you went chestnut. Okay, have you, have you ever taken a bite of an acorn? Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> Taste one of those and let me know what you think. And then take a bite of a chestnut and tell me what you think on that. Okay. Yeah, a lot, lot sweeter. Yes. So, All right. Okay, how about compare that to an apple, though? Well, I mean, I, I planted an orchard, too, so I'm looking forward to that. Touche, um, touche. You know, it's, I'm all about the diversity in the orchard. I mean, deer love the orchards as well, so you can't go wrong there. But uh, nothing better than a hard mass tree, you know, nice hard wood. That's a good thing. No, very cool. I like your I like your response. How many chestnuts did you guys plant? Uh, I planted uh, seven of those. I have planted some Dunstans in the past. Um, those are doing all right so far. Um, you know, you know, when, when you get to talking to somebody that knows a lot about chestnuts, um, when you hear them not talk a lot of good about Dunstan's, you know, you kind of go towards what they say. So, but I'm not putting down the Dunstan either. So, you know, I don't know enough about them to think that, but I, th- I tend to believe somebody that knows a lot more than me though. Yeah, I think I think buying local, or at least in your area of the world, helps a lot. I mean, I bought some of them Dunstans as well um, from a Walmart when I heard they came in, and I'd probably fifty or forty percent survival on those. So, yeah, you know, I think going from somebody you know a little more local and in your region of the world can definitely be beneficial for chestnuts, at least probably for any tree. Yeah, yeah I, I think that nursery that puts out those Dunstans is down south, I believe, isn't it? I would go to, yeah. It makes a big difference when you're trying to plant stuff in our winters, for sure. Yeah, exactly. It's, you got, I don't know how many zone difference, probably two or three zone difference, I bet. I would think. Yeah, then they're riding in a 53-footer all the way up for, you know, a week yep. or so. Yeah, it's, it's not a good situation. Yep. Yeah, you're right. If anybody wants to find out, you know, where you're at, see what you're up to these days, how can anybody find you? Um, I'm, Facebook's about the only thing I do. Um, I mean, I'm on there. I do a lot of liking. I don't do a lot of posting. Um, I do, you know, interact on some of the websites, the Habitat Manager ones and stuff like that. I'm not real active on them, but I, I do throw some words out there every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, feel free to look at me up there or, or, you know, message me on the Habitat ones if I'm on there and if you want to make fun of me or however you want to do it, it's fine. <laughs> I can take it to it. <laughs> so, so that's about it. Well, I'm not far from you, Zach. We're going to have to all get together with Danny and Al or something at some point during the season. Have yeah, a couple man, of years. I'd, that'd be great. I'd love to. That's always a good time. For sure. Well, heck, yeah. Maybe if I can uh, hitch a ride with Chad heading down that way, I might do that this year. Say what's yeah. up to you guys. Yeah, come on over. I, I know I'm not allowed to disclose where he's hunting at, but uh, uh, he's not far. He's not oh, far. I'm but honest to you, he already has to, uh, <laughs> okay. to Brian and I. So yeah, yeah, um, we're under we're under strict orders to we keep are. it under wraps too. Yeah. So he's, he's actually pretty pretty close to Brian, I think, and he is. Mean, you you might yeah. be too. Yeah, because I, I mean I pretty much not far from there either. So and I actually have hunted the neighboring property to where he's hunting, so it's it's a good spot. 
Very cool. Very cool. Zach, thanks again, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Great, great chat. Yep, had a good time. Keep in touch, and um, who knows, maybe we'll have you on as uh, – sounds like it might be early early to mid-October for a game plan episode. Yeah, hey, I'd love to. That's great, man. <laughs> thanks, sir. I'm going to say the 19th would be, be my guess. Okay. I'll see you. Hopefully we got a cold okay. call right before that, and I can talk some good about uh, putting down a good one. Exactly. Well, hey, man, thanks again. Take her easy, right? All right. Thanks, guys. You too. Thanks so much, Zach, for coming on. What a great chat. I had a blast talking to you, and, uh, you know, really wish you luck this fall. You know, it really sounds like I need to come down and see your camp. You guys sound like a great time. Um, the listeners, thank you guys so much once again for coming back. We really love it that you guys want to learn and become better habitat managers with us, and we're going to keep going. We're going to keep blowing this out of the water. We have some great episodes coming up. Um, check us out at HabitatPodcast.com to stay up to date, along with our YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. That's the easiest way to watch us day to day and see what we're up to. So thank you guys so much. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, I think Google Play, or wherever you can get a podcast, we should be on there. If not, let us know. Uh, we'd love to, you know, get to you guys any way we can, and we really appreciate the support. So without further ado, take it easy. See you next time as we become better habitat managers. in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.